This is the future. And humanity is all but extinct. First they start skipping prescribed drug dosages. Then they begin touching. I volunteer as tribute! You can stop this. You can change things. I know that there's something more. Then we've only got one choice. We fight. Fight the future with Dan and Paul. Welcome to Fight the Future with Dan and Paul. I'm Dan. And I'm Paul. And our guest today is my good friend, Dr. Jim Davies. Hello, everybody. Jim Davies is a professor of cognitive science and a playwright, a calligrapher, a rapper. Help me out here. <laughs> Many it's things. It's boring to list everything, but swing dancer. Anyway, I'm, I'm a scientist with artistic interests. Let's put it that way. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> and I'm excited to have him on the podcast because he's also a author of young adult fiction. Yeah, as of Perfect. yet unpublished. This book was your suggestion, was it not? I believe it was. Nice. Yeah, as well as from some of our forum users, but this has been on our list for quite a while because when Jim told me about it, it sounded unbelievably cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like this, It must be hard to come up with an idea where when people hear about it, they're like, I must read that right now. That this was one of them. Right. Has this also been optioned for some sort of movie or TV show or something? It has. I was just looking this up. Uh, apparently, there's a screenwriter assigned to it, so it's happening, probably. Mm. Should we say what the book is? We should. It's called Steelheart by Brandon Sanderson. The premise of it is that what if there were superheroes and what if they were all jerks? Yeah. Right. It's the jerk superhero apocalypse. Yeah. So I, what I love about this apocalypse is that the apocalypse is people, like sentient creatures. But yeah, there's no superheroes fighting them. There's only supervillains. How did you happen to read this book, Jim? Um, I was a very big fan of Brandon Sanderson from uh, his finishing up the Wheel of Time series. Mm -hmm. I thought Brandon Sanderson did a great job finishing up what Robert Jordan started, and I liked his writing. So I uh, checked it out and loved it and read it and read the next book as soon as it came out. Yeah, this is the first book where I've been so into it that I actually went out and bought the second book, too, and started reading it before the podcast taping. Ah, great. It's super compelling. I like how into the world building it is. Unlike some of the books that we've done, and movies especially, it really is taking a lot of care with the rules of the world, even though they're pretty crazy in this one. Right, and he's really good about saying where he just he has the characters just admit that some things just make no sense and just <laughs> yeah. leave it leave it at that, and you know uh, it's poorly understood. But you know where there are rules, they, he sticks to them really well. With superpowers, there obviously is always going to be a level of kind of hand waving, but the parts that he is saying, you know, that we don't know what the answer is or it's not important, are indeed sort of the not important stuff. You know the why can a guy shoot laser beams out of his hands mm -hmm. doesn't actually matter you know from a story perspective what's actually interesting is what do those do or what makes that happen what makes him not be able to do it all that kind of stuff right the setting so these these supervillains were given powers some small percentage of the population given powers on one day and uh, they started taking over the world. They've got different 
levels of abilities. So some are some have very minor powers and some are super duper powerful and they can have more than one power so it's not just like a little one talent some of these beings have lots of powers and uh you know they have the typical ones like flying and shooting bolts out of your hands but then there's some really quirky ones like there's a guy who when he shoots a gun it never runs out of bullets (laughs) yeah yeah so that's kind of like a soft science fiction you know it's fun it's it's nice and you know you you got to squint a little bit at it but it it, i feel like it works i'm I'm willing to accept it yeah yeah let's talk about some of the rules that he does have you want to talk about weaknesses? Yeah, like every crazy power that he introduces is carefully detailed as to how it works and how it doesn't work, and especially the weaknesses, which it says are, there's actually way more weaknesses than there are superpowers. So superpowers tend to fall into different categories, but weaknesses seem to be very individual. Because we're sort of seeing it through the eyes of this kid who's obsessive about studying these superpowered people and also finding what their weaknesses are. Yeah, each one comes with a dossier. What is their power? How does it work? And how do you take them down? So, but I mean, what's happened is that this was all like 12 years ago, I believe, that suddenly people started developing these powers. And they've also done terrible things with them. Like most people just went on killing sprees, destruction Mm -hmm. sprees. Other of these, they're called epics, have taken over cities and terrorized the population. So they're basically, yeah, this gigantic apocalyptic disaster that's happened to the Earth. And like the prologue, it talks about the silly superhero. Was it Death Point? Death Point. Yeah. <laughs> this is yeah. the first superhero they, or super villain they encounter. But I love that even like in that very first section, he talks about, you know, Death Point is robbing a bank and monologuing about the idea that he realizes that he doesn't actually have to rob banks because money you know, he doesn't need money because he can just take anything that money would have given him. Right, he's just cruel. But he just likes to show people what he can do. Right. Which is point at people and they die, by the way. <laughs> Death point. Right, that's, the, that's the world. So the, the, the whole world, apparently, as far as we know, it's focused on America. But the whole world is basically taken over by these bad epics. Um, and they, he talks a little bit about how government fell. And I thought that was great, how they started treating epics like a force of nature that you couldn't sue them you couldn't bring them to prison and eventually the government's just collapsed uh, but the main part of the book focuses on what used to be chicago and is now called new cargo uh, <laughs> because it's been so drastically changed by this super super powerful uh, epic named steelheart so when he took over he turned most of the city to steel which i thought was a made for a really interesting apocalyptic environment uh, the whole first novel happens in new cargo and basically a landscape of nothing but steel and people trying to live in darkness in this steel city down to you know hundreds and hundreds of feet underground as well right so the street lights don't work because they all turn to steel and windows windows don't work windows yeah windows are uh, now opaque because they're made of steel and uh the reason people don't turn to steel is that things that are living or very close to things living don't turn to steel so that's how you don't get trapped in your clothes when he turns everything to steel we were talking about like the the people, everybody getting random superpowers and stuff. And I love the way Steelheart, his superpowers have no theme. <laughs> like there's no kind of rhyme or reason to his stuff. He can turn stuff into steel. He's invulnerable. He can fly. He can shoot yeah. laser beams. He can uh, control the wind. It's just like there's all this. He just has like this totally random grab bag. It's kind of like of Superman powers. though. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Not unlike Superman. And he is a Superman-like figure in that he's huge of chest and kind of handsome and 
look superhuman as well. Whereas right. some of the epics that we meet in elsewhere are actually quite ordinary looking, despite being really scary and evil. Uh, but right. Steelheart is definitely our Superman analog. And the story kicks off with him coming into this bank robbery that's happening with Death Point and just killing everybody in the bank. You think he's going to help. And then he finishes the killing, basically, including our protagonist's father. So that's how the story gets kicked off with David, our protagonist, vowing revenge against Steelheart. The book certainly enjoys a protagonist with a goal. There's no problem with that. He wants to kill Steelheart. That is a very simple goal. Um, and the sub-goal of that is to figure out his weakness. So the, most of the novel's primary problem is fig- trying to figure out what Steelheart's weakness is. And David's supposed to have special insight because he's the only person who's ever seen Steelheart get hurt. So one of the cool, fun things about the novel is, is trying to reason with the uh, resistance movement, looking at the conditions under which Steelheart was harmed and trying to figure out what was essential about it and what was just accidental. Was it the mm-hmm. fact that it was done with this particular gun? Was it, and, and the fact that the weaknesses are so varied and individualistic, there's really no clue about it, right? Was it because it's done by a person who happens to be 55 years old? Like nobody knows what the weakness is and they have to like set up these situations to see if they can hurt Steelheart, but it's always really risky. I thought that was a lot of, that's a lot of fun because it's a very physical thing and the, the, the powers and the fighting is all very uh, visceral and action-packed, but you've got this very cerebral problem of narrowing, basically eliminating hypotheses. Yeah, and if you took it as being completely random, uh, then it really would be insolvable because there's so many infinite factors that could be in play. Right. But it turns out not to be the case. That There is some reason why you can figure out their, their weakness. So we're talking about the setting. The book's set in this new cargo. I don't know why it's not called Steel Cargo or something. Yeah, he, it's surprisingly, uh, yeah, he didn't name it after himself somehow. Or just Chicago, but it's now totally made of steel and people live, uh, it's one of the most stable places in America. Everywhere else is just sheer chaos, pretty much. Yeah, it's another interesting uh, moral ambiguity that I kind of liked. I think young adult novels are often, you know, kind of black and white in their morals, but, you know, there is, a, there is a question among the resistance, like, is this the battle we really need to be fighting? One of the most... <laughs> one of the least tyrannical epics in the in America. Do they really need to be going after this one who actually feeds his people and, and everything else? And right. protects them against other epics. Right. It's got this feudalism to it, right? That you're, you know, you're kind of a slave, but at the same time, if you're not under the protection of an epic, you are vulnerable perhaps to more evil epics out there. All of the human race is just subjects of these, especially the ultra-powerful epics, the ones that are almost impossible to kill. Keyword, almost. Right. The, uh, was it, um, primary invulnerability is the, uh, the term that our, our hero uh, makes up for that. And so there's a group of people called the Reckoners who have tasked themselves with killing epics. They hunt them down, they figure out their weaknesses, and they trap them and kill them with special weapons that they have. And basically just organization and know-how. I really like how the, the Reckoners, the problem, the, the, the main character, David, has to get in with the Reckoners, but uh, the, the author has this problem of, well, how do you get to be a part of a secret organization that doesn't want anyone to know who they are or where they're going to be? And I think that it's to Sanderson's credit that he really makes, we really have a smart protagonist in David, and he just deduces what their next move would be because he's so obsessive about this. His whole life is based based on trying to figure out these epics and everything that he basically concludes where they're going to go next and he just shows up and tries to help. <laughs> yeah. And they don't want him to help and they don't want him part of to be part of the group, but they see that he's fixated on Steelheart 
and has all this information. And also he has this incredibly valuable thing that in his brain might be the knowledge they need to kill Steelheart. Right. The series is actually called The Reckoners. So the book is basically them getting closer to Steelheart and his layers of defense and basically trying to get that one shot at him. And obviously ensuring that that one shot actually does something. Yeah. So doing all this investigation as to what the heck could have actually hurt him originally. Right. And part of the way that becomes an entire novel is that Steelheart actually has a bunch of other epics as minions. So he's got uh, Nightwielder, who keeps the place in perpetual darkness, and Firefight, who appears to be, at first glance, a fire epic that can wield fire. So they have to kill some other epics to gain credibility, and they have to try to lure him out with what appears to be an epic challenge, challenge from another epic. So you get all these subplots of... uh, dealing with uh, all these different epics and each one is like it's like well it's like seeing a new superhero in a in a superhero world it's kind of cool to see what their personality is and uh you know they you know it could be just like a middle-aged woman who just got the power to make buildings turn to dust or something like that and uh, each one's got its own quirks that are uh make the book pretty interesting throughout yeah and they're all like boss fights where they, you have to find the boss's right. weakness and what is the appropriate approach to them one thing that's interesting to me, too, is that there are a lot of humans involved, that Steelheart has an army and a police force that are, that are just regular people who've been conscripted. Well, and also we find out that one of the relatively common types of superpowers that people have got are what are called gifters. Somebody will have a superpower, but also will be able to gift that power to regular people. Right, and sometimes objects. So there's this whole police force that has been gifted powers from another epic that is under Steelheart's control. Yeah, and there's also, like, he talks about there being bureaucrats and administrators and accountants as being part of his empire. So it turns out that just being incredibly personally powerful is not enough to run an empire. Even though he can fly anywhere and destroy anything and terrorize anybody, he still needs a hierarchy of humans to Mm. actually control the city. In fact, Steelheart is actually quite paranoid in terms of he does the the sleeping in different rooms thing. He uh, doesn't show his face actually in public that often. He, in a lot of ways, he doesn't act like somebody who is completely invulnerable. Yeah. Let's talk about some other aspects of the setting, like um, ordinary people, the way that they live. They live in these hollowed out areas within the metal, this Mm -hmm. metal city. Uh, I mean, it must be a really uncomfortable place to live. But especially also, in the winter, it must be freezing cold. Yeah. I've been in Chicago in February. And <laughs> yeah, nightmare. but you didn't have to stay in a steel box. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess the other aspect to the setting is, you know, when Steelheart made everything steel and uh, also underground, you know, uh, to hundreds of feet or hundreds of meters underground. And then at some point later on, these guys called diggers who were a bunch of humans that were given a ability by some epic that allowed them to dig in the steel or something. Tunnel through and make homes. And And so Steelheart employed these guys to dig out big tunnels underneath the entire city for more people to live in. Unfortunately, the process of receiving that superpower from whatever epic originally gave that superpower to these humans also started to drive them insane. And so the area underground is kind of labyrinthine and has all like weird dead ends and passages that don't go anywhere or weird twisty passages. So it's, or it's very easy to get lost. Yeah. 
one of the Reckoner's advantages, though, is that they can tunnel through metal with these special gloves that they have. And that explains a lot of things to do with how they pop up and actually get the edge on these epics. So the story that we're told is that there was some initially some study of the epics, and uh, so scientists were working on it, and they isolated some stuff and were able to make these technologies. The harm sway, which is makes you heal faster, which is a terrific plot device for <laughs> allowing your characters to get hurt and then bounce back. And then the tensors, which allow you to, to make tunnels and destroy walls and that kind of thing uh, at will. So that's the ace in the hole that these Reckoners have. Those are the sort of the two powers. That's all they've got against all the epics in addition to your know, normal run-of-the-mill guns and ingenuity, hardworking American ingenuity. <laughs> right, and the, the leader of the Reckoners, supposedly a professor who stole this technology right before he uh, left, before he went underground. So he was a professor working at one of these epic research facilities and so he stole the tensors in the harm's way before he uh went underground and started the reckoners yeah what do we know about the sort of global situation or even the uh the america situation well we know that calamity is a star that appeared and it's this red bright red star that's always visible day and night and that corresponded when while the epic powers were granted and we don't know a whole lot about calamity at the beginning that's for sure it's called and the the event and the star are both called calamity a lot of the Earth is supposed to be in ruins, but there are these interesting pockets that are run by different epics. Uh, like New York City, we learn about in the second book, mm -hmm. has its own sort of dictator and bizarre change to the environment. Namely, that the waters have risen all the way up to like the 20th floor or something in a, in a very strange way in Manhattan. And the third book is about Atlanta, but that, that book's not out yet. And the uh, one of the main characters, she comes from Portland, which uh, apparently that whole, the whole like Portland area is just completely a wasteland at this point. No epics even are in charge there because there was a massive epic war, an epic, epic war that uh, completely destroyed the entire area. So yeah, that's a little bit like what we see in superhero comics where superheroes and supervillains are fighting and causing all kinds of collateral damage, like in Man of Steel. Uh, mm -hmm. Interesting. But except that it's just dicks fighting other dicks. and Yeah, so they, they not only don't care about hurting, you know, human or hu hurting regular people, but they might even go out of their way to hurt other regular people if they so desire. Yeah. In a world with superpowers, being a, a carpenter or construction worker is the best job security you can have. <laughs> yeah, it's a booming construction <laughs> industry. Except for in, uh, in New Cargo, carpenters probably don't get that much work. There's well, no everything wood. being steel, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, New Cargo starts to seem pretty good, even though it's all metal and cold, and there's child labor and dictator. Perpetual night. <laughs> yeah. That's, uh, that's pretty bad, but yeah. So we've got, it certainly fits dystopia. It sounds like a very harsh, terrible place to live. Always nighttime, a city turned to steel, ruled by, you know, epics that can just do anything they want to you anytime. Plausibility. This is one of the aspects that I really like about this book is that it does go into a lot of the implications of stuff and the characters, both the villains and the heroes, are actually quite smart in terms of how they're doing stuff. And we, we find out sort of all sorts of different ways that people are using their powers. I mentioned earlier the firefight being one of the epics that is sort of the right-hand man of 
Steelheart, we find out that there's a good chance that Firefight is in, in fact an illusion being cast by uh, 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 is actually like Firefight is a real epic, but the epic's power is illusion and is just sort of standing off onto the sidelines, creating this what looks like a really scary epic to draw everyone's attention, which is uh, a very smart move. Like that's something that you can actually imagine people doing if they had that kind of power. Right. It's it's not an idiot plot, which is when the plot relies on the characters being stupid. Mm. Protagonists and the antagonists are pretty smart about what they do, which makes it a satisfying read. Yeah, the only reason why the heroes kind of have a hope is that these epics are quite arrogant. They really don't see them as a threat necessarily right away. What can you do, Reckoners? And so few people are fighting back, too, so the chance that a Reckoner is actually after you is probably pretty low. Right, exactly. And it talks about the society as one where, I like there's a line where David says, this circumstance has made us selfish, that everybody is just terrified and looking out for themselves because you could just be killed any time. Right, yeah. It's not you have to, you know, do whatever the epics tell you. It's even worse. It's basically you have to just not draw their attention in any way. I mean, even positive attention from an epic is very dangerous because then they're actually paying attention to you and maybe another epic will attack you. <laughs> yeah, it's it's the scariest kind of threat in that they're very rational but also very evil. I mean, for me, the hardest thing to accept was just this evilness. Like, it says at the beginning, there are no good epics. There's a lot in this book that's like that, that you hear you hear things, things happen and you, you it seems random or you wonder why that later have very good reasons behind them, which I think is a great strength of the book. Like the reason why Steelheart, you know, flies around killing people randomly and just, you know, being a jerk all the time, even when he has complete power, is is actually explained. Mm-hmm. And so the, the books are full of that kind of stuff. What, what did Steelheart want, do you think? Like what was his purpose in maintaining the city of New Cargo? You know, it's interesting that um, the book doesn't follow Steelheart at all. We don't ever get inside his head and he only shows up in the prologue and then at the very, very end. So we don't really know what his motivation is. Uh, so we can only speculate. I, I, I would speculate that he just wants power and maybe he's living the high life and uh, and he just enjoys ruling and that kind of thing. I think power is sort of a inherent. Like, like it, it speaks to the nature of the corruption that you want to dominate people, you want to rule, and you also want to talk like Dr. Doom, basically. Like you want to talk grandiosely <laughs> and say, Ha, mortal, How, why should I care for you puny lives? You basically right. get like a super grumpy supervillain. I, I did actually write down the quote here. It isn't enough, the professor whispered. It isn't enough to have godly powers, to be functionally immortal, to be able to bend the elements to your will and sort through the skies. It isn't enough unless you can use it to make others follow you. In a way, the epics would be nothing without regular people. They need someone to dominate. They need a way to show off their powers. Mm. So the the idea that it's yeah there's you know there's no point in being able to uh, you know levitate a mountain if there's nobody to watch you levitate the mountain and be impressed by it <laughs> or whatever. Yeah, but then you see them maintaining like some stable of people to be impressed, and then they get bored and just kill them all. Right. So this world is like just yeah completely collapsing all the time. No stability at all. Okay, why do they have code names? There that was another question. So each epic has a alias, like a supervillain alias. So we have Firefight and Nightwielder and Steelheart. 
I mean, there's a reference to the fact that people choose their own names, and sometimes they don't choose that well. Yeah, there's some good funny bits of villains with really stupid names. <laughs> like, really? That's his name? <laughs> El Brass Bullish Dude is one. El Brass Bullish Dude. And uh, Pink Pinkness is another <laughs> one. She really liked pink, it says. <laughs> but it turns out if you say that fast, Paul, say it fast a couple times. L pink pinkness? Pink pinkness. Pink pinkness, pink pinkness, pink pinkness. Oh. All right, it doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> well, one thing is that the, um, it turns out that the weakness has something to do with the history of the individual who got the powers, hmm. the epic powers. So uh, perhaps the alias is one way to conceal their previous identity. Right, that's true. Like some people put on costumes, but other people don't quite have it together with their costumes like they have sneakers or whatnot I, it seems weird that they have new swear words after just 10 years i like that calamity has become a swear word yeah that's interesting and sparks spark she was pretty which i guess is part of the uh living in new cargo i feel like you know every one of these uh big powerful epics that have set up their own fiefdom they probably, each one spawns a whole new set of swear words for the people who are living <laughs> underneath them. <laughs> Use these swear words or else. Or just depending on the powers <laughs> of the person, you know, what what is considered to be particularly terrible will vary depending on what kind of things are being inflicted on you on a day-to-day -day basis. Yeah, like ass pain, the terrible. <laughs> it, it is interesting that you can have, a, you know, people burned to death described in a, in a young adult novel, but you can't use the F word. Scariness. This is a much more personal kind of scariness, which in this, in some ways is, uh, there is a personal thing there where that can be reasoned with, theoretically. Well, ultimately it's a political apocalypse, right? It's not an environmental apocalypse or a medical um, it's a it's a really a political one. It just happens to be that the people who seize power, just like a dictator might, happen to have have a special supernatural abilities. Yes, it's not so different than what can happen in certain African countries, for example, when somebody really crazy takes over and starts doing things. Right, or right. even Stalin, just your run of the mill, power hungry, vicious, paranoid. Person. Right, it's it's these these dictators, except that they have the powers to actually back it up. In some ways, what makes it less scary is that the humans are all on one side, and the epics are all on one side. For the most part, there are some sellout humans who work for the epics, but yeah, it is kind of a humans versus epic kind of thing. I think the world is scary. The book isn't scary. Mm -hmm. um, I think the book has some good moments of tension. Uh, particularly, the protagonist David is very ballsy, and he's. He'll break, you know, like a like a good cop movie or something. He'll oh, disobey orders to do test out this theory of weakness he's got, or uh, to save one more person, and uh, and it puts him in very dangerous situations that are very tense. But I wouldn't. It's not a. It's not scary like a horror story is scary. No, definitely not. But the world. I mean, I would. I certainly wouldn't want to live there. No, and I mean, even uh... I probably wouldn't have tenure in that world. <laughs> like even if you were an epic. If you're not that powerful as an epic, it's still pretty dangerous for you. Because, um, you know, any more powerful epics will be coming after you. 
there's sort of a, there's almost like a Highlander feel to it in some ways. Yeah, there must be a whole class of minor epics that also got exterminated, more specifically too. Well, when you've got an absolute ruler, and you know, if the if aside from the corrupting powers of their powers, they could, they could just be temperamental jerks that lash out anytime they're feeling shame ashamed or frustrated. And you know, if if there's no um, there's no law basically except for the rule of the, the the epic on top, you probably want to avoid that epic's attention just as much as the the humans do. So yeah, it's a tenuous tenuous place for everybody. Even the people on top are getting challenged constantly by other epics in a way that, you know, the president of a country doesn't have to face very often. <laughs> they might not get elected, but they don't have somebody coming in and calling them out for a battle. <laughs> so it's a very, yeah, it's a, it's not a great, yeah, it's a good point. It's not a great place for even the epics to live. Yeah. I just realized something, which is uh, all the motivations that they have are kind of like human terrible motivations that have been blown up, like lust for power and egotism and stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, not sex. Uh, which right. is just as well, but it's interesting. Mm. People do have this amazing ability to adapt to these situations, right? And, you know, people will continue to go about their lives in this bizarre situation in the tunnels of steel beneath the city. Well, but there is no stability either. I mean, there's no place that's really safe. Any no. place that where people get together and start trying to recreate culture... It's like a little kid with a sandcastle. They just want to knock it down. Right. So many dystopias have more stability, at least locally, than this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, even with the best intentions of Steelheart, he could get into a big fight with another epic, and everything you've done could be washed away. But I think there are relatively few epics. So you know, in a, in a population the size of, of New Cago, probably most people, it's kind of like seeing celebrities on the street, probably. It happens once in a while, but you know, you rarely interact with them. Which is good, because they can kill you. Also, much much like celebrities in real life. Yeah. If you see Diane Wiest, you know, don't make eye contact. She'll zap you. <laughs> Learn that the hard way. How would they do? I am a researcher in New Cargo. Hmm. In the book, at one point, they take out a... Uh, they're taking out a power plant and they see that there's a whole bunch of research that's going on in this power plant as well as the actual power stuff. I was thinking that even once the epic, in this case, Steelheart has taken over, research into epic powers and the limitations and all that kind of stuff is still going to keep going. And that information is useful to epics. I bet Steelheart has a whole file on other epics that might want to challenge him. Hmm. In this case, I'm actually, I'm working for Steelheart doing research into epics, but being careful not to research certain aspects of epics too deeply, lest I find out dangerous information that gets me killed. So it's a bit of a delicate balance. I, I would guess that there's a fair amount of tension involved in certain circumstances. So once in a while, Steelheart just comes swooping in and starts looking over your shoulder as you work. And he goes, hmm, hmm, interesting, interesting. They're like, yeah, yeah, still still haven't found out any vulnerabilities, you know, about steel or anything. That's, that's real good, yeah. Super invulnerable. Still. We have a theory that some epics have no vulnerabilities at all. Yeah, yeah. 
So that might be that might be one your thing. I bet it is. The best epics. Yeah. So there is a lot of that kind of tension, but this some sort of academic interest might override that in a lot of cases. I mean, this is a whole entire area of academic research that is totally new and you know, makes basically no sense <laughs> according to our current knowledge of how these things work. So you could actually find yourself having first-person chats with Steelheart about academic matters. That yeah, would be interesting. yeah. You may actually, yeah, be talking to Steelheart or talking to one of his generals, being careful to explain clearly what's going on without them being like, what are you, some kind of egghead? Boom, blow you up. <laughs> Got to be very careful about these things. I feel like a lot of epics probably are uh, easy to insult. Not a lot of patience. Easily slighted. I am a digger. So I'm one of the people who are gifted with digging powers by Digzone, who's the name of the epic. And I was tasked with creating places for people to live below Chicago in this big chunk of metal that's become underground Chicago. I imagine the way that I dig is by kind of swooping my hand towards the surface and like scooping it out, liquefying it which is the way that the gloves work for the Reckoners, these special tensors, they're called. So I also pictured a little bit like the way Mario digs down in Super Mario 2, and that it would be a very satisfying, pleasurable process to see this tunnel opening up in front of me as I swoop my arms left and right. I'm doing it right now. And uh, creating these tunnels. And I also like the breakdown, the mental breakdown. I imagine myself following orders very carefully, Okay, you'll take this tunnel. There's a side tunnel coming off to the side. Maybe even using a map to create the tunnels. And then at some point, when we're deep, deep, deep down in the earth, I and my fellow diggers start getting our own impulses. Maybe we're not that crazy. Maybe we're just creative. I'm going to make a palm leaf underground. I'm going to make a Baroque spiral. I start to become obsessed with the beauty of my creations, even though no one can see them, even though... It's just a passage underground. I start following a spiral further and further down, deeper and deeper and deeper into the ground, where no one can reach me, no one can follow. It's so far. And then maybe I find that I can't get out at the bottom. I don't have any special floating powers. I dig myself into a hole, but then I just keep digging away, along sideways, so many hundreds of meters under the ground. And they'll never find me. Hmm. So I'm a digger who's gone crazy. I like the idea of the the diggers just kind of following their own, like after, you know, following the map and then sort of slowly diverging from where the map is supposed to go and sort of diverging more and more and more until they're just kind of following their own deal. It says that they that the diggers went insane, but it doesn't actually say what happened to them after that, does it? Yeah, no, I'm curious about them. And I don't imagine them as being like people who are just like construction workers. I imagine them as animalistic. But yeah, we don't learn much about them. Hmm. I like that. Jim? My first thought was also a digger gone rogue. So I'm going to (laughs) jump on to another one. (laughs) So my character is a human welder. And Mm -hmm. a steel construction worker who has a lot of work to do in New Chicago. And he's kind of a double agent because he 
Um, he he does construction projects for the epics, but he's also works underground in building people secret compartments for underground railroad type of stuff and uh, people hiding resources and things. And he uh, plays this double life of trying to help people uh, thwart the epics, but at the same time he works for the epics and helps them build structures out of all the steel that's around. It talks about a couple of times that there's quite fantastical constructions going on above ground. You, you can build quite different kinds of buildings when you can kind of build it out of one kind of material and then Steelheart can come over and change it to steel. I can imagine you could you, know, you can then take that and be kind of attaching different bits to it, welding. And... Yeah, that's interesting. You can actually just get like mud and put it, and you, if you've got four big steel things you could just put mud in between them and then have Steelheart come over and turn the mud into steel and then it would be a solid structure (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. paper mache whatever yeah yeah so all of a sudden your job becomes a thousand times more important it's you be it becomes basically the only way to attach things to other things you can't really nail or screw through a steel thing unless you first are drilling through it yeah you you become uh there's probably going to be a ton more welders than there ever were before Good thing to learn in your spare time. Mm. Hope for the future. So we've danced around a little bit, trying to avoid spoiling it too much. So this is the part where we spoil major parts of the plot for Steelheart and right. even a little bit into the next book. So we should, I should, I'd like to say that this is a wonderful series. And if you don't want to be spoiled, I highly recommend you go read the books and stop listening. Stop now. Come now. Back later. Come back later after you've read them and hear our brilliant insights. But uh, if you have any inclination to read the book, I highly recommend this series. So right. the hope is in the weaknesses, right? Yeah. Well, the hope is also in the fact that there are people fighting. And and also we find out this professor who's the leader of the Reckoners is actually an epic. And he's the one who sort of has figured out that using the powers itself is sort of what corrupts you you know kind of in the same way as the the lord of the you know the one ring and lord of the rings and he has figured out that if he doesn't use his powers he can act as a regular normal person and be you know you know a morally good person and fight against the epics and do all this stuff um, as long as he is very careful about how he uses his powers and the more he uses his powers the more kind of selfish and and angry he becomes but there is a way to control it and there may be other epics out there that are doing a similar thing or deliberately not using their powers. I actually felt a bit of conflict about this, that the answer is sort of in the superpowers and the possibility of coming back from the edge and not being evil. Whereas it seemed like the initial message was that the Reckoners uh, are humans who've just organized with regular weapons and things and ingenuity, cooperation, that that's what you need to take down this even this powerful chaotic force of the epics. I don't know. What did you think, Jim? Well, that the fact that the resistance depends on epic powers, even the uh, Harmsway and the Tensors are actually gifted from Prof. Mm-hmm. And he can gift powers without getting evil. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's it's. I think it's um, sort of a natural consequence of the way the world is. I feel that the humans wouldn't have any chance at all <laughs> I found it. I liked it, and I found it kind of hopeful that there it, there were epics. And it's a really neat idea that the epics can help you as long as they don't act like as long as they don't use their powers, which is sort of a 
you know, it, it puts a really great, it's just an enormous cost to using powers for a good, for a superhero in this world. And I think that's a great thing that I hope gets explored more in the third book. It's not even explored all that much in the second book. Yeah. And the scene of, you can just imagine it in a, you know, a movie or a TV show or something, the scene when the professor finally lets loose and actually starts using his powers for real is a pretty amazing scene in the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you see the kind of threat to his soul that it poses. But giving powers to other people doesn't pose the same threat. Mm. So the world is really in ruins, but but the Reckoners are a really effective symbol of hope. Yeah. How the epics, which seem to be so indomitable, can in fact be beaten. Yeah, they are you know powerful in all these different ways, but there aren't that many of them. There are more of, there are more of us than there are of them. And... We, we can uh, work together and, and fight them, but maybe need a little bit of help. <laughs> yeah. We're on the scene of what appears to be another epic massacre. The day my father died was the day I learned to fear. But fear does not define us. Our courage to fight back does. seen Steelheart bleed, and I will see him bleed again. That was Steelheart by Brandon Sanderson, and thanks so much for coming on the podcast, Jim. Uh, it was a great time. And a reminder that this is a Loading Ready Run podcast. And as with everything on Loading Ready Run, uh, this is supported by our Patreon. It's at patreon.com slash loadingreadyrun. Our theme song is by Bradley Rains, and the interstitial segments are by Kiara Kant. Uh, if you enjoy this podcast and you uh, want to support us, please uh, subscribe, rate, and review it on iTunes. Or you can also give us feedback on our forum at loadingreadyrun.com forum. And actually, uh, another way that you can give feedback is we are currently doing a kind of Loading Ready Run census, Loading Ready Run survey. So uh, if you haven't filled that out, if you go to lrr.cc slash survey, uh, you can uh, fill that out. And that just gives us uh, some information on uh, what kind of Loading Ready Run things you watch and listen to and uh, your t-shirt size and various information like that that uh, allows us to plan for the future. So we really much, very much appreciate it if you would fill that out. Don't do it. They're going to round you up. Don't do it. All right. Thanks a lot for listening. And let the odds ever favor the bold. Let the odds ever favor the guy who can shoot lasers out of their hands. Yeah. All right. Bye-bye. Bye.
Ci vediamo! <ride> Perfetto!